Welcome to This Week in the Warner Archive Collection, where we discuss our newest releases. I'm George Feltenstein, and I'm proud to be joined by my colleagues, Matt Patterson and D.W. Ferranti. We have not one, but two new releases that are being added to WAC this week. So let's fire them off and fire when ready, each one a gem in its own right. First and certainly foremost, we're so proud to bring you not one, but two seasons. I'm holding my fingers up. Seasons one and two of the great modern Western procedural drama Longmire, starring Robert Taylor, Katie Sackhoff, Lou Diamond Phillips, Cassidy Freeman. Both seasons on lovely 1080p HD Blu-ray discs with special features and extended episodes. We'll be getting into that in detail. Then to go about as 180 degrees as possible in terms of content, but still on Blu-ray, we have a phantasmagorical fantasy set to music, Kismet, starring Howard Keel, Dolores Gray, Vic Damone, Anne Blythe, Sebastian Cabot, Monty Woolley, and a lot of supporting actors who would later become famous. And we could talk about that in a moment. But this great musical is available now on Blu-ray in 2.55, 16 by 9 letterbox with 5.1 DTS sound. It looks smashing. Now back to the small screen when it really was a small screen. We've got a big series. It is a sequel series, a reboot from when they weren't doing as much rebooting. We have David Carradine starring in Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, season one. And these episodes have been remastered. And there's a lot to talk about in terms of the reboot and the remastering. And we'll be getting to that in just a moment. Then let's go back to the 1950s once again for 1954's Men of the Fighting Lady, starring Van Johnson and Walter Pidgeon. This is a great Korean War action picture and lots to discuss in that regard. Let's talk about Longmire, seasons one and two on Blu-ray disc, now available from the Warner Archive Collection and an online e-seller near you. It would be about three podcasts ago at this point. We uh, sat around and talked with the author of the original Longmire books, Craig Johnson. Uh, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you listened to that. And, and if you didn't got... listen to that, please just stop listening now and yeah, go that, back and listen to you that. You must. It'll be like a super episode because he explains the genesis of the story and all the elements and how this incredible tale was brought to the screen and it, and it was a fairy tale story itself and the and how it was put together a fairy tale story of the author's series of books yeah. going from one book to a series of books becoming a hit A&E television series which starts its third season on Monday June 2nd on A&E for 10 episodes for season three. And in honor of that, and to celebrate the fact that Longmire is so wonderful and so beautifully photographed and yet not available on Blu-ray, it's Warner Archive to the rescue, and we bring you Longmire season one and two in one beautiful Blu-ray elite case. If you watch this show, and, and you, you watch it on your high-definition television. And you must. You will see immediately how wonderful it is shot. They use the red camera. It's beautiful. It's one of the best uses of high-definition TV I've ever seen. Landscape is a character here. Right. It's captured beautifully. I mean, the actors are great, too. It's a very widescreen package on your TV because it, now we live in widescreen TV land. And to not watch it on Blu-ray, you are... You're missing, missing half the show. 
in this discussion, unlike the other one, let's just zero in on why. Now, this is a newer show, but why people who listen to this podcast and are into uh, some of like the older monogram westerns or the Tim Holtz. Why, if you were into that, would you be into Longmire? That's a very good question. And let's first and foremost establish that Longmire is a current Warner Brothers television production from Warner Horizon Television, entering its third season on A&E. We're bringing you the prior seasons, which have only been available on DVD, now on Blu-ray. This Western procedural drama, it's about a sheriff in Wyoming who solves murders every week. Right. And Matt discovered, as we were discussing in the prior podcast, this is filmed in New Mexico, subbing for Wyoming, but there are some Wyoming exteriors cut in. And one of the great things about this show, you have 10 episodes in season one. You've got 13 episodes on season two. That's 23 episodes plus two bonus episodes in season two that are extended length that contain versions that are about 10 to 12 minutes longer Mm -hmm. than what was broadcast or what you could have seen anywhere else. So only on the home video release, you get these extended episodes. There are two of them in season two. And on both season one and season two, there are behind the scenes special features that are really remarkable. And in the season one special features, Mm -hmm. they go into the red camera and the use of the red camera and the design and the look of Longmire in great detail. But at the heart of the story is Walt Longmire. He's the sheriff of a small town in Absaroka County. And Walt Longmire is played by an Australian actor, although you'd never know it if you only had seen the show. He does a wonderful Western American accent. And he's played by an actor by the name of Robert Taylor. No relation, of course, to the classic Robert Taylor. Except in spirit. Exactly. And we do kind of allude to that in the separate discussion we had on the prior podcast with Craig Johnson, who wrote The Longmire Mysteries. It is very much a modern show, but his character is very much a throwback. Right. And it works. It's not. And it it becomes a fish out of water, daylight noir. Because he is from another era. He doesn't carry a cell phone. He's a hero of the old stripe. And by putting him in this modern complex And he's not world, an anti-hero. He no, is no. a hero. He's a hero. But everything around him, and he has to adjust to his surroundings. And that's why every episode plays out like a little mini-movie. It's just a wonderful, wonderful experience. So it was about 10 years ago that Craig Johnson started writing. Uh, he wrote one book called The Cold Dish which was a hit murder mystery about Sheriff Walt Longmire for Viking Penguin, and they wanted him to continue writing about these characters. And that gave birth to the series of books. And if you listen to our prior podcast, you can hear how those books went from page to screen. So we won't repeat what Mr. Johnson shared with us on the prior podcast, but what we will tell you is you get a two-season arc in this one Blu-ray package. And that's really a gift because the show is on A&E. It's their highest-rated scripted dramatic series. And uh, we're confident that season three will be equally successful for them and may there be at least 100 seasons more. This is the kind of television that 
as Matt was alluding to, if you're a fan of the true heroes of the past, whether it be Cheyenne Bodie mm-hmm. or Johnny Mac Brown or Roy Rogers or Gene Autry or what have you, or as we discussed with Mr. Johnson, Gary Cooper's character in The Hanging Tree. Absolutely. This is truly a good man, a great man, who deals with the conflicts of modern day as rough as it can get. So if you're a fan of contemporary television, this is first class all the way. If you're a fan of the more classic noir or mystery or Western, there's something for you here, too, that you may not have discovered. And I think that's about everybody who's listening. This is a four-corner release for us. So if you're wondering (laughs) why Warner Archive is releasing something that has everybody not only still alive, but vital (laughs) and working, usually we're working with older content, we felt that Longmire not being on Blu-ray was a sin of omission that we wanted to be able to correct with the support of our colleagues and everybody here at the studio, and we're delighted to bring it to Blu-ray. So Longmire Seasons 1 and 2, it is a single release with six discs, 23 episodes, two extra episodes that are longer in length and lots of special features. It's a great bargain when you consider the amount of entertainment you get on those six discs, and it is available at warnerarchive.com as well as from all online e-tailers that carry our product. So look for Lungmeyer, The Complete Seasons 1 and 2. Now, staying blue and true to Blu-ray, we go back to 1955, the MGM musical, really at the end of... It's pinnacle with Arthur Freed producing, Vincent Minnelli directing the adaptation of the Tony Award winning Broadway hit Kismet starring Howard Keel, Anne Blythe, Dolores Gray and Vic Damone. And this is an adaptation of a play that had been filmed five or six times, depending if you count foreign language versions, silent versions, unofficial versions, all going back to a play by Edward Knobloch that was written in 1911 in England. This is about a beggar who is also a poet and his daughter and how he wants a better life for his daughter. And it's set in the long ago land of, what you'd say, Persia. Yes, it's very Thief of Baghdad. The silent version films starred Otis Skinner, who had done the play here in the United States in 1912, I guess. I think it first opened in London, 1911. And there was a silent film version in 1920. Then Warner Brothers made a sound film version in 1930 that is a lost film. It doesn't exist. I believe we have some stock footage from it, but that's about it. And uh, there may be some audio discs floating around out there, but it's basically a lost film. In 1944, the story was remade in Technicolor with Ronald Coleman and Marlena Dietrich. And that film is available on DVD from the Warner Archive collection. So MGM had an interest in Kismet to the point where it actually contributed to the financing of the stage production, which opened in Los Angeles Mm. and then eventually ended up on Broadway at the end of 1953. And it starred Alfred Drake and Doretta Morrow and uh, was quite a substantial hit and then headed back to Culver City where it became an MGM musical. 
I don't mean this to be a sidebar, but you know, Warner Brothers today still has a theater ventures because these stories still make the rounds, like in a very similar way, right? Yes, and Kismet just is the gift that keeps on giving because yeah. there was actually in the late seventies, if uh-huh. my brain is correct. There was a redo, either late 70s or early 80s, I'm not remembering, but I'm almost sure it was late 70s. They changed the locale from Persia to West Africa and did an all-black cast production called Timbuktu. Wow. Oh, I remember that. That was with Eartha yeah. Kitt. No, no, because that was playing on Broadway the first time I went to New York. Right? Yeah, so, and then there was a television version of the musical that starred Jose Ferrer. So this has been a story told so many times. At the core of it are the melodies of Alexander Borodin, the classical composer. So I'll have to do my riff on the most famous television commercial of the 1970s and 80s. I'm sure you recognize this lovely melody as Stranger in Paradise. (laughs) But did you know that the original comes from the Polyvetin Dance Number 2 by Borodin? Yes, it's a marvelous collection. Uh, Columbia House and Fist of Marketing, and the price would go up and up. Basically, the classical themes of Alexander Borodin were adapted by the team of Wright and Forrest, who were a songwriting team that had been at MGM for many years and then moved to Broadway with Song of Norway, where they adapted the melodies of Edvard Grieg and got a hit musical out of it. And that was kind of their stock in trade for many years, sometimes to success, sometimes not to success, but they'd adapted the work of Victor Herbert into uh, more modern pop tune type approaches. And uh, that didn't quite work. And I think they also did Johann Strauss. Right, I remember that, yeah. And that was the great waltz, not related to the 1938 MGM film of similar subject matter. But they hit pay dirt with the musical version of Kismet on Broadway and when it went to Hollywood in 1955, it had the benefit of color, cinemascope, and amazing stereophonic sound. I mean, this is like the end of the spectacular musical era, but this is as widescreen and as technicolor as you can get. The thing about this film, it has its detractors. If you look up people writing about this movie, some people like it, some people don't like it. The score yielded many hit songs at the time, Stranger in Paradise being one of them, and this is my beloved, Bobbles, Bangles, and Beads. So the bard and melodies served for Wright and Forrest to make several pop hit tunes that were recorded by lots of popular artists. But Vincent Minnelli was the director of the film and he did not want to direct the movie. And he did so in an exchange at MGM if he would get to direct his passion project, which was Lust for Life. So a lot of people think, oh, well, this is second-rate Minnelli. Well, I don't think so. I think that actually he's one of my favorite directors and he brings such an amazing visual sense to everything that he does that the frame is always fascinating, always interesting. The performances are terrific. And it calls special attention to the costume design yes. of Tony Duquette. Tony Duquette was a personal friend of Minnelli's, and he did not do a lot of film work. And he died in 1999. 
So courtesy of Liza Minnelli, who's a friend of mine, I did get to meet Tony Duquette and talk to him about his work on this film. And he just had this wild imagination of how shapes and sizes and colors could be used. And if you revisit Kismet and look at it from the perspective of its visuals, uh, its songs, and the underscoring, which I'll get into a little while later, it's fascinating. If you watch this film, standard definition on a four by three screen, you're not watching this film. No. Exactly. And this new Blu-ray, it's mastered at a very high bit rate mm -hmm. that really takes full advantage of making the film look as robust and sharp and crisp as possible. And the music has all been remixed from the original stems, the original recording sessions, just like we did with Hit the Deck. Mm. All of the original MGM recording sessions were remixed along with the dialogue and effects to create a new track. And the singing of Howard Keel and Blythe and Victimone is remarkable. And then you have Broadway's Dolores Gray, who is a belter. And she didn't make a lot of movies, but the movies that she made, she really made quite an impression. And she's delightful as La Lume in this film. Anne Blythe plays the daughter of Howard Keel, who plays Hodge, the poet beggar. And uh, Howard Keel was once again stepping into a role that Alfred Drake had performed on Broadway. He did so two years earlier to great success in Kiss Me Kate. In later years, he reflected that he didn't think he did a very good job. I think he's magnificent in this movie. I shouldn't say he carries the film, but... He's the focus. Yeah, the I mean, I mean and it's, this story is so crazy. The actual plot of the film... Yes. It's nuts. It's, it's, we can't <laughs> even bother to tell you about it, except no. it all happens in one day, and it's very amazing. But he keeps your focus, and he keeps you moving along in what should be sort of a stupefying, convoluted plot. But you're with the poet the whole time, and you're following his machinations as he rises from rags to riches. And beautiful rags to beautiful riches. Unlike <laughs> most movie musicals of Broadway shows, virtually the entire Broadway score was retained. Mm. And there was even a song written for the movie that wasn't in the Broadway show called Rahad Lakum. Now, Rahad Lakum ran into a little problem with the censors. So what ended up in the film is the refrain of the song, but the verse, which was talking about virtue, was considered a little naughty and cut out of the movie. Now, it is on our disc from a lift of a preview print, and therefore it's in black and white. But you see what the censor thought was too naughty, and you'll be asking yourself, why? So all of the extras that were on the DVD release of this, which came many years ago, including uh, two appearances promoting kismet of uh, the MGM Parade, which was the television series that MGM used to show shorts and clips of their old movies and also to promote their new movies. You'll see Howard Keel and George Murphy talking about the making of kismet. There's also a short of the era and a cartoon of the era. All of that is carried over, but the outtake, the little piece of, uh, of Rahad Lakum that was cut out from the beginning of the film, the reason why it's in black and white is that the lift, when you take a, a piece of a film from a preview print and you lift out the outtake material, that's why it's mm -hmm. called a lift. So there's no negative material of this number, all there was was the lift, and it had faded to such purple that we decided uh, to go with the black and white rather than have people be distracted by the purpleness of fading Eastman color. Uh, Speaking of extras, 
there are some interesting extras in Kismet. Yes. Now, let's see if you discovered all of them. Tell me which ones. They, they're, <laughs> oh, they're, I'm there sure are two TV favorites, and then there's one surprising person. I noticed Jack Elam. Yes. I noticed Jamie Farr. Yes. And then, of course, I noticed Mike Mazurki, who's not a TV actor. No. But he's so big, you can't n- not no, notice No, but you, you got the two that I was talking about, and Mazurki, I don't think, he's always a supporting player. But uh, Ross Bagdasarian. Who oh. was the creator of Alvin and the Chipmunks? Yeah, wow. had the uh, pseudonym of David Seville yes. on that show. He's also one of the extras I- okay. in the film. I did not know. So that. Th- there's a little bit of trivia That's for funny. you, but there's another piece of trivia. The orchestrations in this film are primarily done by the master of orchestration, bar none, uh, Conrad Salinger, and he collaborated with Andre Previn, who was the music supervisor and conductor, and Previn got that. If you listen to the orchestrations in this movie and the orchestra and what they do, it's really quite fascinating. But the other orchestrator who worked under Salinger was a guy by the name of Alexander Courage. Ah. Now, those of you out there who, like the three of us, are Star Trek fans... I may remember that Alexander Courage indeed did write the theme for the original Star Trek television series. But he got his musical training at MGM starting in the late 40s as an orchestrator all through the 1950s. And uh, there is a song in Kismet called Fate, and it's sung three times. And in the third rendition of Fate, which has a trance dance involved, I swear, and I discovered this while I was working on producing the CD soundtrack of Kismet, and that's when I really got into this movie, that I heard echoes of the theme to Star Trek. Maybe only a couple of bars, but I swear I hear that in there, and it would be the work of Alexander Courage because he arranged a lot of the dance music. But speaking of dancing, Jack Cole, a famous choreographer, did not do a lot of work on the screen and did not do very much work at MGM. He did the dances for Kismet on the stage and was brought out to MGM to do the dances for the film. And his dance style influenced choreographers of 20, 30 years later, such as Michael Bennett, in my opinion. And Bob Fosse was kind of a contemporary, but Jack Cole, I think, influenced Bob Fosse. But if you look at the dancing in this film, it really feels far more contemporary than 1955. I just uh, noticed in the Not Since Nineveh dance that follows the song, there are some steps that where these girls are imitating fighters, and it just reminded me of choreography I had seen Fosse do, and it's just terrific. So on Blu-ray, this movie shines. It is a delight from beginning to end and worth revisiting if you haven't seen it in a long time. Minnelli creates magic on the screen. We heartily and highly recommend Kismet. Now, we're going to stay with the exotic, but go back to television. (laughs) And we have a television series that people have been desperate for on DVD. And we now can relieve the desperation with Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, Season 1. I watched the show almost religiously because where I was, it was on before Star Trek, I think. 
Actually, I did never saw the original Kung Fu. This what? Was my, I'm, I'm admitting this. Well, he what? would have been three or two. Yeah, so. this was my first. <laughs> you know, I'd heard of this it. This is his I Kung Fu. I knew it existed, but this is my what? Kung Fu. We were thinking of changing the titles to say Matt's Kung Fu. I'm a huge fan of the show and revisiting it. Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit about where this fits in to Kung Fu history. There's some continuity that I'm happy to address. Please do. Okay, so there's Kung Fu, the original series. Right. Which is the story of Kwai Chang Kane, Shaolin monk, Mm -hmm. who's left China because he has assassinated the emperor's nephew. He's a half-breed. And he's portrayed by? David Carradine. And what year is it? It's the 1880s. Right. And he wanders the earth and he solves problems. And there are arcs. He's looking for his brother. He's Mm -hmm. looking for his... Anglo family. It was a big hit show. Kung Fu Western. Its cultural impact was kind of off the charts. I mean, the show itself only ran for three years, but Grasshopper, Master Poe, Kwai Chang Kane. I mean, people fighting hit songs. Yeah, and (laughs) David Carradine very much his signature role. They attempted to revisit the character a number of times. Most significantly, there was a a pilot movie, Kung Fu the movie, which paired David Carradine with Brandon Lee. Brandon Lee playing the son. Right. And that we released as a DVD about six to nine months ago. Yeah. In this, it's set in the then present day of the 90s, the right. early 90s. Early 90s. Although everyone looks like it's the 80s because that's how decades actually work. Mullets. 80s with mullets. mullets. Yeah. Oh, mullets. my God. And mullets. David Carradine plays Kwai Chang Kane, the son of the son of Kwai Chang Kane. Right. Now, in my mind, it's the Dan, son Dan of the Brandon Lee character. But oh, I like that. if you're fans of the show, you will see in my mind eventually the Brandon Lee character takes on the name of Matthew, thus unifying all the continuities. Right. So that this show true. was not a network show, but no. it was created for first run syndication, which blossomed in the mid to late 80s and through the 90s until cable kind of overtook it. It should be noted, the only reason this show stopped is because the syndication network that produced it folded. Right. Yeah. It wasn't the show. This, this was a the huge... The show was a huge hit. Huge hit. And people have been wanting it on DVD. Now, what we wanted to do was something that wasn't possible on one of the other shows that was created for this syndication network, Time Tracks, which right. we released seasons one and two. That show was posted on videotape, and there was no way for us to be able to improve the quality beyond the video masters that we had. However, on Kung Fu The Legend Continues, we were delighted to find that there were interpositives of the episodes. And, and this didn't have all the special effects work that was done in video, too, so you could go right back to the film, right? We had to do some creative mixing and matching uh-huh. here and there okay. because they had protected the core of the show, uh-huh. but there were other aspects that had not been protected on film, and uh-huh. protecting on film, as I've always said, is essential. Key, right? But we're able to bring a quality to the viewer it, of this show that it looks is unprecedented. I, I don't think the show, yeah, I mean, the show never looked and, this good. No. And this was shot in Vancouver. This is one of the early Toronto. Vancouver shows. Toronto. Right. This was in Toronto? Toronto. They, they, I'm, I'm asking. They credit Warner not. Brothers Television Canada in the <laughs> end credits. And we should mention that this is very much a two-star show because we've right. talked about David Carradine yes. playing Kwai Chen Kang, but Chris Potter plays Kwai Chen Kang's son, who 
because it's the 90s, is a police detective who is a cop. I don't do the kung fu. But he doesn't play by the rules either. No, he's a rogue cop. The, the whole show is really based upon the relationship between the father and yep. son. The pilot was broadcast on one night in January of 1993 here in the United States. Mm-hmm. It aired as Kung Fu The Legend Reborn in foreign countries. And there was a separate version shot for international television that has slightly different visuals than what was broadcast <laughs> here. And that is noted on the packaging. Yes. Uh, Are you talking about different? Contains brief nudity. Headlights. Yes. So that's the film element, the way it is. And we present the pilot in a two-hour form as it was broadcast overseas. And then the balance of the series is as it was broadcast here in the United States because those are the elements that we had to work from. And I want to say as someone who was a fan of the original Kung Fu, when this show came out, I, of course, watched the premiere Mm -hmm. pilot. I was very dubious. It's like, oh, he's not going to wander. He's going to be in a city. It's another cop show. Yet I ended up watching the show religiously. This is one of these shows where they figured out, and eventually this went to cable, as we were saying, that you can take a good genre show and it's just a solid performer as long as you have a good self-generating drama machine like a father and son relationship. And you will see when you sit down to watch this whole season as a whole season is there's actually an underlying arc Mm -hmm. to the season, which was very rare for television series at the time. Now in our post-Buffy universe. And David Carradine was one of the producers of the series, so he took a very, you know, proactive interest in it. It wasn't just that he was a casual actor. And then, you know, this is interesting about this time period is that when you start watching it in order, you see it very clearly. I don't think I watched these in any order, nor did I care at the time. No, I mean, it was really like when I was watching it on this DVD set, I was like, Oh, Oh. right. Once you get past the mullets, it's all gravy. (laughs) So this is a series that was, in fact, released by Warner Home Video internationally many, many Hmm. years ago, but has never had a legitimate U.S. release, and it has never looked this good. Did we remaster? Is this remastered? We remastered this. So the international version is not remastered. Correct. Okay. And it's from the video master. No, so no, it I, looks yeah. like it. Our customers demand quality and hey. we're here to deliver. So good job. Kung Fu The Legend continues season one, season two to follow. But let's take another, oh let's get back in the TARDIS and go back to the 50s. Shall we do that? <laughs> All right. Please okay, do. Because the TARDIS would never end up on The Fighting Lady. We've been watching a lot of Navy hardware films and this one, it takes place on an aircraft carrier. We've done aircraft carriers, but it's from the 1950s. Earlier, when we did the brief intro of the film, when you mentioned Van Johnson and Walter Pigeon, I right. think you left out someone, George. There's a lot of people. But left someone important to me. The man with the mustache? He doesn't have a mustache in this film, though. No, no, you're right. But it's right. still Keenan Wynn. The thing about this film that's very, very important is our presentation is in the proper 1.75 oh, yes. aspect ratio as projected theatrically. When shown on television, it has always been seen in the incorrect 4x3 format. So this is the widescreen presentation as it was meant to be seen. And there's spectacular stuff they shot for film. There's also stock footage. 16 millimeter actual battle Actual battle that is really, yeah, that is riveting and real. We're not even a decade out of World War II and we are full on into the cynical war. Right. Like like back to World War II or like Vietnam is coming. This is the cynical war There's the gung-ho 
versus the let's just get through it, look out for number one. And that's the conflict. Very often people used the Korean War as a metaphor for Vietnam in later eras. But no, no. The Korean War was the Korean War and it was that war. They're bitter about being involved in a police action. And there's the younger guys versus the older guys. And the younger guys are a little jealous of the older guys because the older guys had something real to fight for. And these are Navy fighter jet pilots who every day are attacking the same railroad and there's, yeah, over, over and, and over and over again, again, risking their lives, and it's just getting repaired every night. It's a and, and pointless the, war. And it's pointed out that the bombs that they are dropping are more expensive than what they're blowing up. And right. An interesting side note, some of this film is based on writings that were similar to another film that came out a little later called The Bridges at Toko Ri, yeah. which is a Paramount movie. Paramount and Warner Brothers realized they were making movies that were similar in tone, so Paramount agreed to release The Bridges of Tokori after MGM released Men of the Fighting Ladies so they wouldn't get into a fighting battle over conflicting movies. And they're very different films. Very, very different films. The film is based on two different two different stories. James Mishner wrote a yeah. story and then another writer. Uh, Magazine. The Saturday Evening Saturday Post? Evening I believe Post. it was The Post. That's what yeah. it says. So the, 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 the story of... I don't know how to do this because I don't want to spoil the third act. So I'm not even going to tell you the name of the article. But I am going to say anyone who's seen this film, it stays in your memory forever because of this amazing third act. I mean, the rest There's, of the film is great. But this third act, which is based on a true story, is just amazing and riveting. It's, and economical filmmaking yes, because yeah. the running time is just short of 80 minutes. Yeah. And it packs a punch. It doesn't waste time. It gets right down to the storytelling, right down to the action. And that's why it resonates with people. And I'm going to make a, a dopey reference here because you mentioned the TARDIS on there. But I'm going to say there's a little bit of Star Wars oh, no in question. here. Uh, with, you know, using the Force, Obi-Wan Kenobi in the fighter jet, like man versus machine and being a hero yeah. against all odds. It's it's all there in this little compact story. Now, doesn't Kanan win say, Luke, I am your father? <laughs> yeah, he almost does. I'm not going to ruin what happens. he's more of an Obi-Wan. He's Obi-Wan in this. He's, yeah. he's Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan who has lost faith. <laughs> yeah. No teasing. Well, there's always Warner Archive Instant, our subscription video on demand service where you can watch hundreds and hundreds of movies and hours and hours of television series. And you can get your free trial if you go to our website, WarnerArchiveInstant.com, and sign up right now. And you can watch on your PC, on your Mac, on your Roku, your Roku stick, your iPad, and you can also watch through AirPlay on your Apple TV. If you're watching on Apple TV, on your iPad, on your Roku, on your Roku stick, most of the content is HD and streaming 1080p HD with unprecedented quality. What are your instant picks this week, gentlemen? To no one's surprise, my pick is The New Adventures of Batman because Because you love Batman. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. The New Adventures of Batman was the second Batman series, if you don't count Super Friends, right? Right. Right. No, nobody The second Batman animated series, but one with a difference or two differences, two major differences. What might those be, Daniel? Well, it was Adam West and Burt Ward's return to the characters of Batman and Robin doing the voices of Batman and Robin. And that does make a big difference, doesn't mm-hmm. it, little chum? Yes. And, and then it even makes you forgive Batmite. 
Oh, we're Batmite fans, yes. George. Well, because you know, like Batmite is not the Scrappy Doo, and he's not Gazoo either. But you he's like Gazoo, Gazoo too, I do so like, I, mean, I love you know, Gazoo. That's where we 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 differ. I love Gazoo. George is anti interdimensional imp. No, yeah. did you no. like Q? Because I mean, love Q. Oh See, well, Batmite, Batmite to Q. Come Bat on, Mike. Q was at the beginning of Next Generation. My God, I mean, Q is a but. Batmite I mean, and Q come from the same Q's dimension. Q's son, that was a different yeah. story. But you okay. know that Q and Batmite both live in the yeah, fifth dimension. Yeah, they live in the same and dimension. And listen to the fifth Look, dimension. Look, I'm up, up, and away when it comes to the fifth <laughs> dimension. I did not pick anything animated nor having superheroes, but I did perhaps pick Wonder Twins with A Stolen Life uh, starring uh, Betty Davis and Betty Davis as uh, the yin and yang of New Englander uh, ladies. A great Betty Davis performance. I thought this I movie mean, was great. Now, like this a... this is in HD. Looks good. Black Stone and white. Life is in HD. And then after whatever happened to Baby Jane, Warner Brothers was realizing, hey, this Betty Davis, uh, she's pretty good. We should <laughs> make got another the chops. movie We should use her. People like her. So what was your other pick? My other pick was Betty Davis. Again? It. Yeah. In Dead Ringer from 1964, <laughs> because we have two films on Warner Archive Instant where Betty Davis plays twins. Yep. Wow. So that's like a quadro Betty field. One good, uh, one bad in both movies. Yeah. So wow. Stolen Life from 1946 and Dead Ringer from 1964. My pick is <laughs> Dr. Kildare season one, yes. streaming in high definition, over 30 episodes starring Richard Chamberlain and Raymond Massey as Doctors Kildare and Gillespie at Blair General Hospital. We've talked about Dr. Kildare often here because yep. we've remastered this series for DVD. We will soon be bringing you season three on DVD, but now season one is being added to Warner Archive Instant streaming in high definition, and boy, it looks great. So that's my pick for the week. All the right. one thing we don't have this week is no. a new letter because you have forsaken us and not sent us new letters. Matthew is is heartbroken. Um, we went through two boxes of Kleenex on the way over here because he had no new letters to read you. So make him happy. Make us happy. Please send your letters to the following address. Warner Archive Podcast, B160-8, 3400 Riverside Drive, Burbank, California, 915 915- That about wraps up, or actually that does wrap up this week's Warner Archive Collection podcast. But don't forget, we'll be back next week with all new releases to the Warner Archive Collection and new picks to Warner Archive Instant. So on behalf of everyone, I'm George Feltenstein. I'm Matt Patterson. I'm D.W. Ferranti. Thanks for listening. Look for the next Warner Archive Collection podcast.